Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be back with y'all. We have really missed being here, so just wanted to mention that before we get started. Now, Jim was telling me we needed to start in Hebrews chapter 6, so that's where I was picking up from. So I'm going to start here with Hebrews 6. Now, uh, chapter 6, uh, some of the things they mention here is uh, in the beginning of the, uh, the workbook here is just... Uh, some principles in the doctrine of Christ, the very real danger of crucifying again the Son of God, meaning that you've moved away, and the basis of our hope that serves as an anchor of the soul. These are things just to be aware of and think of uh, as we read through this. So I'm going to start here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, and that meaning maturity and completion, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away, now some say and have fallen away, but the idea is still the same, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Now I do want us to understand in verses 4 through 8, this is referring to someone who rejects Christ after experiencing and knowing the Lord and remembering their audience is Hebrews, Jewish folks, um, if they fall away in choosing to return to their Judaism and thus rejecting Christ. This is not saying that because we sin or black, uh, backslide or do something wrong that we cannot be forgiven. It doesn't mean that at all. The power and the blood of Jesus does always cleanse us of our sins. But this is a warning to continue in our growth to maturity and not let this happen to us where we slide back into our old lives. In their case, going back to just Judaism without Christ and leaving Jesus out of it. So not to go backwards, it's just a warning for that. All right, I'm going to continue on. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish or lazy or complacent, 
but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, now and this is referring to Abraham, so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability, and that just means it cannot be changed, the unchangeableness we might think of. So, um, to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath or guaranteed it. He guaranteed it with his word. That by two immutable, again, unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Now, the word might there doesn't mean maybe. It's just the way they talked and the way they mentioned this. You could leave the word might out. And it just says, we have this strong consolation from God. We have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So we want to look at our review questions for this chapter. And question number one, what are the, what are the main points of this chapter? Uh, well, the uh, the first part of the chapter is really about growing and moving forward and progressing in the faith in Christ and following Christ. And there's a little part at the end of that, like if you look at verses 1 through 12 and you think of that as the first half where he's in basically uh, talking about the peril of not moving forward, of not progressing, of not growing. Then in, there's a few verses there around verse, I think it's around 9, where he begins to encourage them so that, you know, he's starting there, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. He, and he's starting to encourage them there. And then in the second half of the chapter, verses 13 through 20, you can see where he's talking about the certainty of God's promise, God promises these things, and he's referring and encouraging them to be patient like Abraham. So, on number two, now, you may not say these six things the way they said it here, but, but you, can, uh, you can look at it in the verses one and two and see what six things are mentioned as elementary principles of Christ. In other words, what's the basics of our faith? Bap 
Baptism, laying on of hands. I went to a church that did that, and they did get me baptized. Yeah. But that's all they talked. That's all they knew. I'm not making fun. I mean, in a way, it's funny, but in another way, you know, they're probably beyond that now. But back then, yeah. Um. So that was baptism, laying on of hands. Resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from the dead. And judgment, eternal judgment. The idea of eternal judgment, right? Right. And let's see, uh, we dead have, works. excuse me? Dead works. Oh, dead works, repentance from dead works. Uh -huh. And the only other one, I think, is faith toward God. Yeah. And these are just the basics. We should, we should know these things and not ignore these things. Don't, not, we're not saying that, but we should grow to maturity knowing these things. Yes, Jim? That's the beginning. Now yeah. we've got the Yep. Now we've got to move forward, right? We've got to move forward. Uh, we've got to know more than just that, but that's the beginning. That's the start. That's where we first learn of the Lord and learn of how it's supposed to work and how we follow God. Those are the basics. It's like, it's like any job. If you think of it, I don't know. Every time I've started a new job, I learn the basics of what they expect and what I need to do. And then over the years, I get better and better at that, and I just kind of fall into a routine of doing these things. You know, just saying that's, you get beyond those basics, though. You get beyond those basics where you know how to respond to different issues, different problems, different things that come up. I was kind of relating that to that in my mind, so... So we actually, once we get those basics and learn those, then we get down to the actual work. Yes? These six things are about faith and trust. Now what he's saying, we need to go on and grow. Right, we need to grow. And we need to, yeah, these things too tend to be more focused on us and our salvation. And we need to grow beyond that to where we're looking to others to help them with their salvation and to help them and things like that in growing. So question number three, what five blessings were experienced by some who had fallen away? And he mentions those in verses four and five if you want to look. Right, they had tasted the good word of God, right? <laughs> they were partakers of the Holy Spirit, right? They had... Yeah, the good word of God. The heavenly gift he mentions... Uh, he says they were once enlightened. In other words, they were enlightened by God. They knew of God. They knew of the Lord. And they had tasted the powers of the age to come. So this is definitely someone who knows the Lord. Now, they're not necessarily totally, what, totally 
to the end and mature, but they have tasted and they know and they're learning, they're beginning, right? And again, we want to remember that his audience is Jewish, Hebrews, and because in the next part, you know, he, he, he warns about these people falling away and going back to their old Judaism. So, question number four, as those once blessed persist in their sin, what is their condition? And there is a why to that, but we'll just take the what is their condition? They've fallen away. They're lost, right? And he says that it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. And that's because they are rejecting Christ. They are, they are not just falling away like we think of falling away as someone making a mistake or being depressed and maybe they've been disappointed in life and they... They wander away for a few months or a few years, but they're rejecting Christ and they're going back to their old belief. And that's that's a different thing. That's a, anyway, by returning to that old belief, yes. It even says in um, the eleventh chapter um, of first Corinthians that we have to be careful during our communion that we don't uh, think about other things because we crucified Christ anew. Right, right. Right, because it does say that we should examine ourselves and do that in, in an appropriate manner, definitely. Um, when it says it's impossible, I, I think, too, we need to make sure that we understand that it might be impossible for us, but I, I would never say that it's impossible for God to bring someone back to him in some way. Well, it's impossible for us if we don't repent and change our ways. I mean, if we don't go back to what... Yeah, and it's it, yes. Then it would be impossible for me. Right. If, if, if you choose to reject Christ, it is impossible for you to come to God and come to the Lord with that rejection. Right. And sometimes, yes. if you're trying to get a brother back, it might be impossible for you to do it. Right, it might be impossible. I was that's what I was thinking of is it might be impossible for me to be able to draw them back. But I would never say that the Lord or God could not draw them back. Right. But still, it's a it's just something to notice that some people and plus do you know how, how we get? Um <clears throat> to be fair, sometimes we get a little stubborn and we don't want to listen to anybody else and we won't. And that's just the way it is with some of us sometimes. I put myself in that category sometimes because sometimes I will be pretty stubborn also. So I know how that is. All right. Let's see. So now, and it's, they also mention now, and they say why, 
And the why might be a little harder to for me to verbalize. Uh, the way the way they had it here, they said they crucify again the Son of God and put him to open shame. It's like they're invalidating Jesus' sacrifice. It's like they're when they reject him. It's like, yes, Jim. That it says it doesn't matter what he did. Yeah. Uh, it remains the same what he did. He took our place and provided the way. But when we go to that route, then I'm saying, well, it just doesn't matter. Right. When we reject him and his sacrifice, we're saying it's nothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything, right? And that's, yeah. So... And with that, again, that would make it impossible for you to come to God and and have salvation. All right, so number five. What confidence did the author have for his original recipients? And this is where I say he starts turning it around here and he's kind of being encouraging to them at this point. If you remember, in uh, I think it's verse 9, he says, We are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation. So the better things that accompany salvation. And then in the next verse, he really tells you why, if you look at verse 10. I'm sorry, did you have something, Jim? Right, by doing and following what God says, he knows he knows the blessings they're going to receive, the good blessings of salvation. Right. And again, like I said in, in verse 10, he says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown. He's, he's recognizing their works, the good things they have done as well. Now, he gives them that caution up front, but then he's recognizing the good works they've done, and he's encouraging them in that, and letting them know or reminding them that God does not forget the things we do for him in his name. So, question number six, even so... What qualities did he desire of them? The the writer talking to these folks. To be diligent, right? Right, well, and he mentions that too. Not to be lazy or complacent, not to be stagnant, not to just stop. Now and I put down here, because he talks about the imitation of faith and the patience of those who inherit the promises, and then he goes right into talking about who? Abraham, right? Abraham waited, now by some count, some people say Abraham waited like 25 years for Isaac. 
from the time that God definitely promised him Isaac, I know for certain he waited at least 14, 15 years. That 25 years, they're counting it from the very beginning when, when God first promised him that he would be a father of many. You know, if you remember the original promise, oh, was that Genesis 12? I think it's in 12. And then, but later, God gives him that more definitive promise that he will have a son of his own. And then, even then, he waits over 10 years. It's like 13, 14, maybe 15 years. So he had a lot of patience, a lot of time that he had to wait. And that's, that's what he's encouraging them to have that kind of patience and faith. Yes? In, in verse 11, it says that it goes along with what you were saying. He had uh, a full assurance of the hope. Right. To the full assurance of the hope until the end. Right. Yeah. So, and he, and he references really in 13, not 12, I guess. Yeah, I mean, but he's leading up to Abraham, because in the very next verse in 13, that's who he's talking about. He brings up Abraham. But that's who he was referring to, even in 12, in a way. So, then we look at question number... Does anybody have anything else on that? All right. So, question number seven. Upon what two immutable things does our hope lie? God's hope and his purpose. And when God says something that he's going to do, he's going to do it. I think it's our weakness when we think it should be done tomorrow or the next day or whatever. When sometimes with God, it can be years before that promise is fulfilled. Right. Right, and that was that was part of this example with Abraham, right? That it could be years before a prompt, but the two things, right? The two things are what y'all talked, what you mentioned. It's it's God's promise, His oath, our hope and faith in Him, and belief in His word. And you notice that it says it is impossible for God to lie. So these two, and they they use the word. I think it was immutable several times. It's unchangeable. Uh, God's Word, if you think about it, God's Word is how everything was created. It's why everything is. He spoke everything into being. He can't lie because what He says, that's what happens. When He says it, it becomes. It is. Yes? Later on, when we get to chapter 11, and He mentions all the different ones yes. uh, that had faith. They trusted him what God said. Because of that, they were blessed. That's what we need to do. Right. They, in, when we get to chapter 11, like Jim is saying, the, I think of that as the Heroes of Faith chapter, but when we get to chapter 11, all those folks, they trusted in what God said. They believed in his word and his promises. And that's, that's what we need to do as well. And that's what he's reminding, the Hebrew writer here is reminding them of. As well as us. And I think the the promise and the oath he gave, there was a purpose behind it. They were going to multiply the children of Israel with Abraham's uh, son to come. Yes, yes. Because Israel came through that son Isaac, not through um, 
Ishmael. So who we know who we know was born sooner, but wasn't born from Sarah, so and was not the son of promise. Isaac was the son of promise. Well you know the we try to do it ourselves and we it just shows too that Abraham while he's very important he was not perfect either no. He had a lot of the same issues we have. When you're waiting a long time for a promise to be fulfilled, sometimes you go ahead and try to push it along. You try to make it happen. You try to get it going, you know, and sometimes that doesn't work, you know. <laughs> yes. You see the patience of God through all of that. Because yep. he knew that Abraham was making a mistake, but he was patient with him. And that's true, too. God was very patient with Abraham and stayed with him even through the errors he made and the things he did that were wrong. He must be. I'm still here, so he must be very, extremely patient. So that's just the way it is. Let's see. Um, does anyone have anything else on that? Yes, Storm. He who endures to the end will receive the crown of life, right? And I'm, I'm very paraphrasing. That's not exact, I'm sure. But Right. Um, so question eight. As what does our hope serve? Now, that's kind of phrased in an odd way, but I think, I think if you read the verses, you can, you can see what they're asking. As what does our hope serve? As in how... You know, what is it like? In verse 19, it says, the hope um, we have is like an anchor of the soul. Exactly. So it's like an anchor of the soul. It's a, We have a song like that, don't we? And I may not remember the name to it right now. Where your anchor holds in the storms of Well, that's it. Thank you. Anyway, but yes, yeah, so um, our hope, Jesus, Jesus is our hope, right? I mean, he is our anchor that keeps us safe in the harbor, you know, of heaven. He keeps us tied to heaven. He keeps us in place where we need to be. So Jesus is is that anchor for us, our hope and our belief in him. Let's see. Um, oh, and I may have gone on too long, but to where does it reach? I may have just said that, actually, but excuse me. It's our soul, but it reaches to heaven, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, to where Jesus, to where Jesus is our high priest, to the Holy of Holies. 
and it keeps us safe and secure, like I said, in the Lord's Harbor. Right. We have to we have to study the word so that we have more faith and knowledge of, of Christ and his teachings. That that strengthens that anchor that helps hold us safe and secure to him. And there's so many different ways you can look at that, but that's that's a very good analogy, I think, the the anchor of our soul, keeping us held in place and, and helping us weather any storms and issues and troubles. I think, yeah, okay. So I think our time is up here for this morning. We'll pick up here with Chapter 7 next week. And I want to thank you all for your time. Really appreciate it. And again, it's really nice to be back. So.